Well, good evening, everyone, and a very warm welcome to this latest production by Brooklyn's Television. I'm uh, delighted to be joined this evening by Gina Campbell, uh, Donald's daughter, and by Don Wales, uh, Gina's uh, nephew. Before I speak to uh, mm -hmm. Gina and Don, uh, just a quick word about the music that you've just been hearing that was playing while we were playing that, that montage of videos and photographs. That's a song called Twinkle in His Eye by singer-songwriter Sophia Dady. It's a new song written about Malcolm Campbell. It's not actually written yet, uh, so you've had a sneak, uh, not actually released yet, sorry, what I meant to say. Uh, so you had a little sort of sneak uh, preview of that uh, song tonight, and I'm pleased to say that um, Sophia is uh, with us on the uh, talk this evening. So thank you very much for allowing us to play your song. So, Don, if I, if I just start start with you now, we, we have obviously a Brooklyn's orientated audience this evening, so uh, most people, I think, on the talk probably have reasonable knowledge of uh, Donald's career, but um, could you please summarise for us what his, uh, his main achievements were? Um, I, I, can, I can try. How, how, long, how long have I got, Harry? Oh, well, I'll, 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 I'll tell you when to stop. Uh, OK, well, um, if you want me to be, to be quick, then I'll just say, well, he, he had a very fast car that happened to be blue, uh, and he also had a very fast boat um, that happened to be blue. Is that going to do? Is that... <laughs> no, I, was, I, was I was hoping for a, a wee bit, bit more. more than that. But as a, a kid, wee bit more. Okay, as a kid, that's all I would have said because I didn't fully understand, but we'll, we'll come on to that later. I mean, Donald's career, um, to summarise it, really is quite difficult because he achieved so much, but he didn't break his, his first record until 1955, having spent the best part of six years trying to, to, to break the record, trying to defend what was his father's record originally, and then taken by the Americans. Um, but he was the first person to get a, a boat successfully over 200 miles an hour on, on Oldswater, but 202 in 1955. Uh, he was invited to uh, America to, to go quicker, which he did on Lake Mead and achieved something like 216 miles an hour. Uh, the boat did sink on that occasion, which I think is quite important to know for, for later on. Uh, he then uh, returned to the Lake District and did four records on Coniston, taking the record from um, 225, 239, 248, looking at my notes, and 260. Each year he increased it by about 10 miles an hour, and he was very clever to just increase it within the capabilities of the boat, um, not only technically to keep it at that sort of speed, but also to um, reap the reward of 5,000 pounds put up by Billy Butlin. So that was Donald's sort of income. Um, it was a little scheme that he and Billy Butlin put together. Um, so so he, he then, having achieved that on the water speed record, he then went on to build then his, his, his land, land speed record. That's right. Having, having got those records, he then went on to um, commission the Bluebird car, CM7, and took that to Bonneville in 1960, had a massive crash, which yes. he survived, 360-odd miles an hour. Um, and uh, that was the uh, precursor to me being born, apparently, just to let you know that. Oh. My mum went into shock, <laughs> and I was born prematurely, which might explain quite a lot. Um, and then uh, Donald took the car, re a, a restored, repaired car, rebuilt with a tail fin and stronger cockpit to Australia, and got the land speed record in 1964. Again, thwarted with difficulties, which we'll probably explore later very brave, courageous effort. He then had the boat um, brought out to America, to Australia as well. Yeah. And um, on New Year's Eve, 
right at the close of the year, achieved his seventh water speed record of 276, therefore completing his famous double record and being the only person to have done that and probably the only person ever who ever will um, achieve both records in the same year. Um, then uh, he wanted to uh, show the world that a supersonic car was uh, a possibility. We'll come on to that later. We'll come on to that later, Don. Okay, so. because, of, because of that, he then uh, wanted to get more publicity and announced he was going up to Coniston in November 66. And um, obviously the tragedy happened on January the 4th, 67, trying to beat his own record and be the first person to achieve 300. Uh, on sure, but um, un unlike his father, Sir Malcolm, who is well as uh, breaking records, he was a prolific racer, of course, at Brooklands between the wars. And uh, Donald Don didn't race cars anywhere else. I mean, he did some powerboat racing, but primarily he concentrated on the record-breaking side of things. Yes, he, he had no experience at all. Um, initially, he just thought it would be a good thing to defend his dad's water speed record back in 1948-49 with his dad's old boat but he had no previous experience at all, apart from witnessing record attempts by his dad. So there was, was a lot of hard work and uh, he encountered uh, mechanical and uh, other difficulties. There was, there was repeated bad luck along the way. People even uh, talked about the, the, the Campbell curse, um, you know, particularly in 1964 out, out in Lake Eyre. So there was a lot of, lot of grind behind the glamour as it were. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, Donald was, um, whilst he had no racing experience, he was, a, he was an engineer. So he, he got hands on a lot and got to understand what he was doing. Um, so yes, he, he was slightly different to his dad in that respect. Um, and the bad luck, I mean, I think when you're pushing the boundaries uh, such as he was, uh, he was always reliant on good weather um, as, as we are today in record breaking. Um, and it just seemed that he was again thwarted by, by bad weather, bad luck, um, and sometimes yeah. it's only petuosity, I think. But that's, but when it, when he went out to Lake Eyre, he chose they chose Lake Eyre in Australia for the attempt in 1963. It hadn't rained there for nine years, and when Donald got there, the heavens opened and it poured, and the lake filled. It was just uh, bad luck. Doesn't even describe it, does it? No, exactly, exactly. You go somewhere that is has been dry and barren for all that time, and you expect it to continue but yeah it, it, it rained two years in succession yeah yeah because yeah they went out in 64 and did, did get the record but the chances of it raining two years in succession were so minutely small that that, that it just it really was was unbelievable that it did rain the second year and and I've, I've watched the newsreel of um the car cn7 at the end of that record run in 1964 with the, the tires absolutely shredded i mean it was an incredibly courageous thing because the conditions just were not right for that record run at all really but he was under so much pressure to get the record absolutely and the car had been designed to do 500 miles an hour and was well capable of doing it um but he was on such a rubbish surface uh, and he was right up against it with time money um, sponsorship was lacking, the press were against him, um, there was even uh, a little bit of infighting in with the team, um, there was a bit of sabotage done by one particular person uh, on behalf of one of his sponsors, um, so he was right up against it, but such a courageous man to, to continue and, and, and get the record. I mean, the car achieved on the exit, I think, 440-odd miles an hour. But he yeah. still only got a record of 403, which was, which was a big disappointment for him. 
It was, it was, yeah. So, so th thanks for that, Don. So, Gina, I'm, I'm going to just bring you in now. Um, you know, your, your father certainly was an extraordinary man, and he, he achieved a great deal. And uh, there must have been some very powerful motivators to keep him going, and despite the, the dangers and the difficulties that Don and I have just been discussing. But I think emulating or even exceeding his father's achievements was a was a big, big driver for him. Um, I don't think that's unusual do you if you are the son of a, such a, such a famous man as Sir Malcolm Campbell you know the expectation on your own shoulders just comes with the territory and how many sons don't want to be as good as if not better than their own father particularly when it's so in the public eye and everybody puts this huge amount of well if you're Malcolm Campbell's son what are you going to to do you have to emulate your father and you see it in in other walks of life you could take David Beckham's sons they are going to be expected to be the best footballers in the world aren't they but the chances are they won't be but my father had this dogged determination it was a fixation with him and I reiterate everything that that um, Donald has just said the bad luck that my father encountered it just didn't seem fair it was as if he was a great believer in the supernatural. It was as if his own father was looking down and saying, you know, don't think that record breaking comes easy, old boy. You know, you're going to have to put your back and your heart and your soul into this and you're going to have to prove yourself. And, you know, through all that adversity, that's Donald's had talked about the courage and the perseverance. And that is the most extraordinary part of it. it he was amazing. You know, he did not let himself fall at the first hurdle in any way, shape or form. And um, my respect for him just mounts every time I even think about what he achieved. It really is. And, you know, hearing Donald talk about my father, you know, it's, it's almost a bit surreal. But he got it in a nutshell. He was an extremely courageous man. Don't tell me there isn't anybody that will admit to having an enormous amount of nerves you know, you can sit in the cockpit, have that closed down over you. All you can see is this little tiny thing and you're totally isolated from everybody else. And yet you know that what you have said you're going to do, you've got to go out and you've got to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Yes, you've got a great team behind you that are doing the mechanics. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's only down to number one. And this was my father, tremendous tenacity. And he would not, he was like a dog with a bone, he would not let it go. Um, and my respect, I mean, my respect for him grows each day, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, Don and I were talking about the run in 1964, and as we know, to set a, a land speed record, you have to do a run in both directions. And on the first run, they had to obviously change the tyres. The tyres were absolutely shredded, but he had put new tyres on knowing that the conditions were so bad, but actually did, did the second run in the other direction and got the record. I mean, knowing how bad the conditions were, it really was uh, extraordinarily brave, I have to say. I mean, he was dragging, dragging the car along on the, yeah. the blue paint on the, on the salt. The disappointment was that the car never proved her potential. You know, if there'd been the correct conditions, you would have seen a record up near the 500 miles an hour. The car was every bit capable of it. But he said it was like a giant brake holding her back the whole time. 
yeah, in, in, in hindsight, possibly going to Bonneville might have been the, the, the right decision, but of course that, that, that just didn't seem right at the, at the time. It didn't have the length that by that time. Yeah, yeah. And it, too, it, too, it too had deteriorated at its outer edges, Bonneville. And, and the crash in 60 had, had really spooked him as well. Leaves, leaves, leaves a mark. Yeah, yeah, that 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 had really put him off. But it, then it comes back to the weather. I mean, on, on the face of it, it was a good venue. But as we said, that that, that unexpected weather. Um, yep. you know, we we talked about the, li, living up to his father and so forth. But another strong motivator was, was his patriotism. He was absolutely extraordinarily patriotic, and he wanted all his deeds and achievements to uh, promote Britain and uh, and and a British. Uh, British products around around the world, including all the, all the technology and the land speed record, would, would would help British products in that way. Was that something which was clear to you at the time? Oh, enormous! I mean, don't forget when he started out on record breaking, we were coming out of the Second World War, so it was really important to promote British engineering, British productivity, what we could achieve as a nation, and he was fiercely patriotic. I, I swear he would wear Union junk, Union Jack underpants you know it was um i think he sort of had this bulldog spirit the winston churchill um that we are the best and we are you know we forget that we don't let ourselves as a nation um promote ourselves in my opinion in our engineering feats and our abilities we don't promote ourselves enough we do produce the best we we can do it and he he knew that and he fought for that all the way through and everything on the car was British. He used to grumble sometimes and say, oh, if I had the American backing, I could do this and do that and the other. But he wouldn't even go there, even though it was offered to him. So, yes, patriotism was, you know, it, was he a part of past, forgive the pun, a dying breed? You know, we've, we're now so quick to, to, to buy our, our stuff from overseas rather than make our own. I mean, I know it's completely irrelevant, but my wheelie bin was made in Germany. Can't we make a blooming wheelie bin in this country? I, I, I absolutely should. A lot of people on this call I share those uh, sentiments uh, very, very, very strongly, Gina, in fact, yes. And uh, yeah. uh, most of our large car manufacturers are now actually owned by, uh, by German companies. Yeah, yep. wheelie bin from Germany. Um, well, on, on the subject of Germany, um, <laughs> Don, Don, Donald did volunteer for the RAF in the Second World War, um, but, it, but he, he didn't get into the RAF because he had a heart murmur as a, as a result of an earlier childhood illness that he had. Was rheumatic, was that, rheumatic fever. Yeah. I mean, was, 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 that, was that a driver with him? I mean, he, was he disappointed in his life that he maybe he mm. felt he hadn't, hadn't been quite able to do his bit for the country during the war? Absolutely. You know, it goes back down to what I just said. You know, it, it, it sort of broke his heart um, that he couldn't become a, a pilot and he was ended up with a, with a desk job. He says, you know, that's not what I was designed for. I was designed to get out there and fight and, and, and fly airplanes, but it didn't happen. But he did get his private pilot's license and they didn't worry about the heart murmur at that stage. I think on his... Yeah. Um, um, discharge papers it says unfit to fly fast machines or something <laughs> yeah like Malcolm Campbell don't you ever go so fast again find 10 shillings yeah. I mean that's hilarious isn't it Un unfit to, to be in charge of a fast machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ironic 
Yeah, yeah it, it, it certainly was. Yeah. Now, um, Sir, Sir Malcolm, of course, he was knighted in 1931 uh, for his record-breaking achievements in his racing. Do, 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 Donald did receive the uh, the CBE in 1956, which is the the second highest award. But he ne- he never got a knighthood, and I think that yeah. was a kind of a, a lifelong disappointment for him. It it was. Um, it, it it really was. I mean, you know, you you set yourself goals in life, and um, in those days. And please don't let me undermine people who have knighthoods today. But in those days, it really took something to get a knighthood. And, you know, well, later in his life, I certainly feel it was terribly bad that um, that he didn't get his knighthood. And it did play on him. It did play on him. And it's, you know, it's not about vanity or anything else. It's just recognizing what you've done and what you've achieved and why you've done it and why you've gone out to achieve it. It wasn't for a personal glory. It was to keep Britain up there, to keep us as a nation. And my goodness, if anyone did his bit, my dad certainly did his bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, and particularly the, the the double record in 1964, as yep. Don mentioned yep. earlier. You know that that was obviously unique at the time and remains unique. Um, so, so certainly one one would have thought, but uh, it was certainly a disappointment to him not to uh, not to have got his knighthood. Well, we we were we were in um, sort of socialist governments then, and they didn't like this sort of old bulldog spirit, and they didn't like the um, attitude and maybe my father was just a bit too sort of posh and a bit too old school and public school and anyway I shouldn't go down those those lines but I'm sure that there's something in in the background there that delude, deluded him from getting it. Yeah sure. he, got, he got more attention in Australia and he, he, far yeah. more adulation and support and I think at one point he was considering emigrating to Australia. Yes. Wish he had. Don't sound warmer than here. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'll be by a cat. <laughs> yes, after, after he set the record uh, in, in Australia, you had like a like a ticker tape parade through uh, through Adelaide and so forth. So yeah, the oh, was huge, to him, huge. Yeah. And and after he'd done the water speed record, you know, when he took the boat to Perth and ran up the Swan River, you couldn't see the the area for people. You know, people, but it was, you see, Malcolm Campbell, if you look at his record runs and the old footage, there were thousands that lined the, the, the banks and shores. And I mean, they didn't all have motor cars in those days. You know, people came on the train, on the buses, on their bicycles. It was incredible. But it just seemed to lose that. I suppose, you know, scientifically, we were all moving forward, thinking about going to the moon and and maybe record breaking had slightly lost its its sort of genre people weren't that really interested in whether a car or a boat could achieve achieve such amazing speeds but my father kept at it because he felt there was something worthwhile in it and all different things that and um, parts and um, ideas they would have with making the boat and the car better faster safer this and that some of those innovative ideas of then are still used today, so it did have its place. Yeah, for for, for sure. But in the, uh, the the television program Speed Kings, which which you, you feature in, obviously Gina, they, they play a little bit of footage of the Beatles and so forth, and they they yep. uh, portray it that culturally the country was changing. And as you said a few minutes ago, uh, it, it that, that sort of post-war era of record breaking, everything had kind of changed really by by, by the sixties. But but Donald hadn't. He was he he was still as as, as he had been. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, one of the things that he was also quite famous for, and you, you mentioned it briefly earlier, Gina, um, he, he, he was quite superstitious. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about some of his uh, superstitions when he was doing his record breaking and more generally as well? Well, how about this for a superstition? Oh. He wouldn't go in Bluebird without his little trusty mascot, Mr. Mr. Woffett. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here he is, the, the, the real deal. He had strange um, superstitions and all the obvious ones, but he had a loathing for the colour green. And I know it sounds sort of strange. British racing green was so synonymous with our Formula One cars in those days. But um, I mean, I heard this wonderful story. A guy wanted a job with him. His name was Evan Green, Welshman, obviously. And he said, I'll give you a job. But Evan, you're going to have to change your name. And believe it or not, he did. He changed it to Evan Turquoise. Now, is, is that is that? daft or is that but I mean it's quite extraordinary he had we never had anything green in the house we weren't allowed to wear green it was just something he had about the color green um uh, and other superstitions he had a little um little doll thing he used to rub its belly and um from Tahiti and so he had these little little and you never wished him good luck because that in itself was bad luck so he had these idiosyncrasies. Um, yes. I think he, he also... <laughs> he, he, he didn't like Fridays as well. He didn't like to do runs on Fridays, but, but, but in actual fact, when weather conditions were right, he did run on Fridays and actually, I think, ran quite successfully on Fridays. So he sort of overcame his objection to Fridays, I think. <laughs> so that makes, tells you how bizarre some of these things really are, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's strange. But look, we all have... A, our little things don't we and um i'm the same friday the 13th i'd rather just stay in bed for the day dangerous i fell off a ladder and broke my arm in three places on friday the 13th i realized my dad was dead right stay in bed so i mean taking things on another level he, he actually felt at, at times and i think you mentioned it earlier that his father was almost like like, like communicating him communicating with him and he felt he saw him once in, in the cockpit after a record run or just before a record run I think it was um, I believe it was um, as he turned around at Lake Air um, on that last land speed record that, was it. Yeah. that um, you know he's sitting there you can imagine where the pit of your stomach is it's somewhere down near your knees um, knowing that you have got to do that return run and knowing the conditions you're going to face and all the hazards and the risks and everything and you know when you you know yourself when you want something so badly it can become elusive it can become even more hard to attain and you can imagine sitting there in this little tiny bubble of a cockpit and he swears that his dad looked down on him and said don't worry old boy everything's going to be all right it, it was and yes he achieved this record but with a bittersweet, as Donald mentioned, the car never attained the speeds it was. And, you know, he only shoved it up a, a few miles an hour. It was never quite enough in his own mind. He hadn't jumped it forward into, into, into much bigger figures. But, look, he got his record. But it was just yeah. a, bit, uh, a, a bit sour in that respect. 
Yeah, and I guess it's, it's difficult not to be influenced by the footage of Donald in uh, the in 66, 67, when he was under tremendous pressure to try to get uh, K7 going faster and so forth. He, he certainly didn't seem to be enjoying that part of his career very much. But yeah. would you say overall, I mean, did, did he actually really, really enjoy his, his life as, as, as a record breaker? Or was it a kind of a horse that he got on and just felt he couldn't really get off it again? You know, how can I answer that for him? I can't. Um, he used to say that record breaking is like a treadmill. And once you take one foot forward, it's the next foot forward, the next foot forward. And at what stage do you get off that treadmill? Um, as Don said, of course, he he had a nice little reward from, from Billy Butlin um, for breaking records. But um, I do believe, you know, it's a strange thing. Donald's been there. I, my own small way, have been there. You, you break a record, you have this enormous period of working up the anticipation, the excitement, the, everything that goes with record breaking. And you break the record, you have a champagne evening of drinking and whatever and celebration. And the next morning you wake up, what am I going to do today? You know, it's um, suddenly it's very flat because... What are you going to do the next day? You pack up, okay, pack up all your gear and you go home. But what is your goal the next day? You've just, it, it, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Um, yeah, yeah ab ab absolutely. It was, uh, you, you hit tremendous highs, but then after that high, by definition, you're heading towards a low. Yes, of, of actually, what am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next month? When you've spent this year, 18 months, however long the process has taken you and all that hard work and wooing everybody, getting your sponsor together, getting your team together, getting everything. It all suddenly, it's all finished. It's all gone. Tomorrow's another day. We, we hear that expression. And um, yeah, I think you would wake up with a bit of a flat spot. And, you know, other people would say to you, well, now you've, you've set this record. When's your next one? Yeah, so there was, there was that expectation that sort of drove him along as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, um, didn't Leo say to him back in 48, 49, that Donald... Once you start, you'll never stop. You start, you're never going to stop. You know, so make sure you're doing this because you want to do it. Um, so he was, he was warned early on. <laughs> yes. It is. It sort of sucks you in. Yeah. Um, it's a drug, almost. You want, to, you want to do it again because you had that, such a high that um, it's such a short-lived experience, really, as Gina says. You know, the next day it's, oh, crikey, what do, I, what do I do next? In my case, it was get back to being a photographer. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, Gina, we've we've been talking about uh, Donald Campbell, the, the the record breaker. What what about um, Donald Campbell as as, as a father? Um, I, I, re I read in one book that he was a little bit old school there as well. At, at age seventeen, he was still telling you when to go to bed and didn't allow you to wear makeup. Which I, I don't think I would work with seventeen year old girls these days. I th I think there would be a rebellion, don't you? I think they'd all go out on protest. Um, um, to a large part of my life with my dad you have to accept that he was a single dad by today's standards. You know, um, I was with my dad from, from a very, my parents were, were separate divorced when I was very young and I went to live with my dad as pretty well a single dad um, at the age of four or five years old. And yes, he remarried and had a lovely stepmother, but 
how does a stepmother bring up a child when it's not theirs? So, you know, she was probably not strong enough, I'm going to say, to invoke the way she thought I should be brought up. So it was really the way my father thought I should be brought up, which was probably the same way as he was brought up, as Donald, Donald will know, and, and his mother. They were brought up in quite a, I'm going to call it Victorian. It doesn't sound like, you know, we had to scrub the floors, but it was very strict, very correct. Little girls should, not, should be seen and not heard, and you don't speak unless you're spoken to. And he was a stickler for certain things. I mean, don't tell lies um, and get caught out because, oh, my God, that was something he would not tolerate. Um, but then there was the soft side to him. You know, more when we were away from home, if we went away on holiday, my father suddenly became a, a, a different person and probably away from the pressures of, of you know, what he was trying to achieve at home and, and all the paraphernalia that goes with record breaking. And, you know, we used to go skiing. We used to go, sounds awfully flash, doesn't it? We used to go to the south of France and um, charter a boat. Or even one year he bought a boat and we spent quite a few months in the summer restoring this boat. And we were varnishing decks and varnishing this and rubbing down that. And we did it as a family with Tonya. And he, at the end of the holiday, he sold the boat and made, made, made a profit. Um, but we had a lot of fun as a family doing that. But back at home, it, my father's office was in the house and he had a secretary that would come each morning, 8.30, 9 o'clock. And so you didn't see him. He was busy in his office with, I don't know, I don't know what do men do in their offices? And um, so you'd see him at mealtimes and... And if I didn't eat correctly, if I wasn't exactly, my table manners weren't quite up to etiquette, you know, he, he would pull me up for it. But, you know, I look back at my childhood and I wouldn't swap it with one other person in the world. I think I had the most amazing time. How many 14-year-olds go to Australia? How many, well, even younger in, um, what, 56, 57, Donald Canandaigua? You know, I went and spent six months in the United States. I went to school there. I lived at the house of the governor of the state. I went horse riding. I went to school. I went to the YMCA. Oh, you know, and, and, and Bluebird Park in Canandaigua, there were Coca-Cola machines that you put a dime in, you know, and you got a bottle of Coke out. Well, I'd follow the guy around every morning and say, oh, I put a dime in there yesterday, nothing came out, so he'd give me a bottle. And we go to the, oh, I said I had the same problem with this machine as well. <laughs> I mean, I look back and I think, my God, I had a charmed life. What a lucky, lucky little girl I was. Yeah, you, you certainly had uh, a, a unique childhood, I have to say, Jane. That's marvellous. Um, so look, I'll just bring Dawn back in now. We'll just go back to the to the to the, the, the car side of it, if that's okay. Um, of course, what, what what we didn't mention, I don't think, was that uh, when Donald was down in Australia, in 1964, chasing the record in, in CN7, of course, Craig Breedlove and the Americans went the rocket route, and an uh, actual fact, it was an unofficial record because rocket cars weren't uh, recognised by by the authorities back then, but it did actually go faster than Donald. So I think after initial scepticism, Donald actually then embraced rocket-powered rocket cars and intended to go supersonic. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yes, yeah. I mean, well, it was jet cars, jet cars, jet cars yes, with 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 Craig, Craig Breedlove, yeah. Um, and um, yes, Craig had achieved 407 miles an hour prior to Donald getting his 403, um, but he wasn't officially recognised because it was a, a three wheeler uh, initially, and then also it was a jet car. And the rules stated in those days you had to have a car driven by its wheels. Um, but then when the Americans started to say, well, we've got jets that go a lot quicker than, than ordinary cars, the rules were changed. And Donald's record was, was knocked into obscurity very, very quickly. Um, and it's the last official record driven by its wheels um, was Bluebird. So um, that says a lot about that. Donald wanted to show the world that he could have gone quicker. So the only way to do it now was to have a new car. So he instructed the, the Norris brothers to come up with a supersonic car. So it was a bit of a design sort of practice and theory, but they came up with a mock-up um, that was launched in 1965, 66, uh, and it was called Bluebird Mac 1, 1.1, Bluebird Mac 1.1, um, with a, a top speed of something like 840 miles an hour to beat the sound barrier. Uh, and it was going to be powered by by uh, Bristol Siddeley rockets, which I think were used um, for sort of assisted takeoffs on aircraft carriers and things, so that you can get kick up your ass to, to go a lot fast very quickly. Um, as I say, a mock-up was made and it was launched, but it it, it just didn't receive the uh, recognition from the press or from sponsors that that he he expected it to, to get. Um, people seem to be more interested in the Beatles or going to the moon or, you know, why is this man who's you know, very sort of um, prim and proper in the establishment going for a record in a, in a rocket car when we can go to the moon? Um, so again, it was a, a bit of, a, a, bit of a, a disappointment to have this fantastic looking machine um, capable of 800 miles an hour, which wasn't achieved until 1997 with Andy Green and um, Richard Noble. Now there's a name, Andy Green, getting the land speed record, going back onto the green colour uh, earlier yeah. on. Yes, thanks all of that. Yeah, so yeah. And, and the Norris brothers, and we can't talk about the, the Campbell story without the Norris brothers being being involved, or, or Leo Villa, obviously, who we've mentioned anyway. But they came up with three superb machines. Bluebird CN7, Bluebird K7, and then what would have been Bluebird... Um, Mac 1.1. But yeah, as, as you say, I'm, I'm Andy Green went over, over 760 miles an hour, but that, that wasn't for another 30 years. So it was, it was one heck of an ambitious target in, uh, in, in, in the 60s to be aiming for. Yeah, so far advanced um, in their thinking. The Norris brothers were absolutely fantastic. Ken Norris, I mean, he was a lovely man as well, um, but just so far ahead of their time. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the so, so just, so yeah, Don, yeah, just going to 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 the accident, um, which sadly uh, took Donald's life when he, when he was aged forty-five. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of theories about that that he turned around too fast and hit his own wake. I actually saw something, some some claim that was actually there was a duck was involved. All all kinds of uh, theories about it. Uh, in, in in summary, what what what's your take on on what what ultimately caused the accident that that killed him? Oh, in summary, that's that's huge. So to do it as a quick summary again. Um, uh, you, you have to go back um, slightly a, a bit, and I'm going to 
do a little bit more on the summary, but um, Donald was frustrated with not having any support for the rocket car that we've just, we've just mentioned. He was frustrated that the Bluebird car, CN7, didn't achieve what it should have done. But he wanted this rocket car. And so he thought the only way to raise um, awareness of it and to get some publicity and money was to go back to Coniston with the old Bluebird boat that was now 12 years old, previously sunk um, on Lake Mead, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and again, he wasn't getting enough interest for it. So it was pretty much all on his own money. And uh, he arrived in Coniston having updated a 12-year-old boat, put a bigger engine in it with a thousand pound more, more thrust, bigger tail fin on the back for more stability. So they'd mucked around with the first design of the boat, which was 250 odd miles an hour. Um, and when they get to Coniston, um, they discover that it's, it, it just wouldn't work properly. They couldn't get it up on the plane. Uh, and then there was fuel starvation. Um, you know, uh, center of gravity was wrong for the boat. Whenever they worked on the boat um, and wanted it to run, the weather was bad. Uh, and then when the weather was good, the boat wasn't working. They um, destroyed an engine uh, as a static engine. Yep. <clears throat> and all of these things were building up, building up through November uh, and then into December. And uh, the frustration, you could see the man aging. Not that I was aware of it because I was too young. Um, on the footage of the film, you can see Donald Campbell aging years and years in those final weeks. And January the 4th just happened to be the perfect day. Perfect um, storm. Yeah, uh, everything was perfect. Uh, and he went out at 297 on the first run. I think the duck episode was a, was a previous test run and they hadn't knocked the tin out properly, or the, the aluminium. I don't think the duck was a, a January the 4th run. So he gets down the end of the lake and he's done 297, three miles an hour short of his goal to be the first to do 300 on water. His dad had done 300 on land. So he was, had that sort of aim as well, emulating his father, but on water. And water's so much more difficult as we know. So he just thought, I've got to get back. Anything can change. The weather was uh, perfect initially, but the weather was changing. So he decided not to refuel, putting more, more pressure on himself to get back down the run before the wash had come back. He used a water break for the first time to slow the boat down at the end of the first run because Coniston was too short. I didn't realize that Coniston was too short for the speeds that he was trying. Um, and we know what happens if you run out of water, you're in the shore. So he knew he had to stop quickly. So the water had been churned up um, towards the end of that run. Um, and he just says to the timekeepers, are you ready? I'm coming back. And he turned his radio off. Uh, and Leo apparently was radioing, but he didn't hear it, to say, don't come back. The water's bad. The weather has changed in that short time. And it's something like seven seconds to cover that measured kilometer. So if you can imagine doing seven seconds of, well, what was that? seven seconds is gone. You know, your reaction time or your thinking, what the hell, what, what, what was that noise which you're driving fast on the motorway? Um, so then coming back, uh, he hits his wash from the um, water break, which uh, chucks him around an awful lot. Um, the boat is 
he's tramping and bouncing on the sponsors. Um, and uh, he's trying to uh, get over the top. So he applies more power to go faster. Um, and there had been a uh, sort of theory that the, the engine fuel starvation problem hadn't been cured properly because when he's um, now entering the mile, it seems that he's slightly spluttering and that the boat is sort of coming, accelerating, de-accelerating, accelerating, de-accelerating. Uh, and sooner or later, it seems that he, either he realized he was in trouble because we're not, still not sure, I believe, whether he applied the water brake uh, to slow down or maybe all of this bouncing, his foot had come off the accelerator. We just, we still don't know absolutely. The only thing we do know is that at 320 odd miles an hour, he lost power, which then meant he lost his push from behind, which was keeping the nose down. And the sudden deacceleration and the lack of this thrust from behind meant that he lost his sort of hydrodynamic um, contact and became aerodynamic. And because he was already above his sort of getting close to his five degrees of lift at the front, he just took off. Um, and it was something like 200 yards short for the exit of the mile and the kilometer. And when the boat, when everyone analyzed all the footage and when the boat was 90 degrees to the water, there was no disturbance from the engine. So the engine was shut down at that point for whatever reason. And I still don't think we actually know for sure whether it was fuel starvation, but there was fuel in the engine um, when Mr. Smith found it. Um, so either Donald had lifted off because he knew he was in trouble or there was another technical issue. We, we, we still don't categorically know. There's lots of theories. Yeah. No, we still still don't know absolutely what, what, what happened. Um, well, of course, as we know, Donald was, was, was tragically killed. And uh, going back to Eugene after uh, being in the, in the lake for, for, for 34 years, um, both K7 and uh, your father's body were recovered in, in, in 2001. And of course, in May of this year, that'll be 20 years. So it's just, just, just a couple of months short now of uh, 20 years. But uh, I'm sure uh, the recovery and the, the subsequent funeral is still a, a very, very emotional memory for you. Uh, it's it, for, for me, um, for my father to be able to be in, in the graveyard in Coniston is, is, is it's like a huge relief um, because I used to have the most extraordinary feelings come over me physically. I could be um, ill when I went to Coniston. I couldn't go on the water. Nothing in this world would get me on the water. It was really quite extraordinary. And now I can go to Coniston, uh, as I did on Tuesday, to celebrate his 100th birthday, what would have been his 100th birthday. Um, and my whole mind and body is much more at ease. I can go, as most people can, go to the grave of, of their parents or their loved ones that, that's passed on. And you, can pay, you feel you're paying your respects to, to, to somebody as opposed in the past, it, you're out there somewhere, Dad. I don't know where. Um, so, yeah, it's a massive relief and, you know, very grateful that, that um, Bill Smith was able to bring my father's remains onto the shore and, and to bring some of his, his um, accompaniments with him. I mean, take this little St. Christopher um, on Mr. Wapid, 
that was my father's, was given to him by his father in 1940. My father always wore it. Um, that was under the water with him. And luckily that came up with him. And now I've got that, um, you know, his lighter in his pocket and um, other, other things, some loose change. You know, so there's a little, there's, there's a bit of my dad there with me. And it is, it's a, it's a massive relief. Um, and for, for Bluebird to come up, well, um, if it, she hadn't come up then, I'm quite sure, and if Bill Smith hadn't found it, I'm quite sure down the time since then, somebody else would have um, gone looking for it. And, you know, divers are inquisitive people by nature. And what do they dive on? They dive on wrecks. So if it hadn't been Bill Smith, it would have been somebody else. And um, who knows what might have been left of her? Because you know what divers do? They take souvenirs, don't they? And so they might have, might have, she might have been minus her tail fin at one stage, or she might have been minus some of her skins. So it was imperative to me the moment it was publicly announced that Bluebird had been relocated. She wasn't lost. Coniston people knew where she was. She used to have a boy floating off her, but people used to steal that. That's what they do. Um, so it wasn't as if she was lost. There was plenty of people knew where she was. But it's, she couldn't stay there once the general, it was out there in the general public that um, she had been relocated because it aroused people's curiosity and interest. They would have all been down there like scavengers, in my opinion. So to have Bluebird back on shore is, is also a relief because... I'm no spring chicken anymore, as you all know. Um, thank goodness it's happened in my lifetime and I'm still compass meant enough, mentors enough to cope with the situation and um, can take a lead, if you like, in, 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 in her future. Well, sure. So as, as, as we know, K7 was restored and did run on a lake in Scotland in 2018, uh, f 51 years after the, uh, the accident. But... Um, we, we've been discussing that. We know that there, there are some difficulties about that at the moment. And uh, we're, sadly, we're not, sadly, sadly, sadly. I'm not sure when we'll see K7 out, out, out again, but as we said, there's probably not, not too much more we can say about that just at this point. No, not a lot. Um, what was achieved to me almost was like the impossible. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Something I thought I could never see again. And the saddest thing is, as I can see it at the moment, um, unless some differences are resolved, we will not see, people will not have that same thrill that I had and, and other people that were fortunate enough to be there to see her run again. She is absolutely, you've seen the footage on that film beforehand. She's absolutely magnificent. She's as magnificent today as she was previously to her accident. And to deny that vision to the wider world, to me, is 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 sacrilege, and it's a bloody shame. Forgive my language. Yeah, well, we we, we just have to hope that uh, that that is resolved over the over the next month. And uh, I, I know you're passionately involved in in all of that. Gina, your lips, as, the as gods' ears. Yep. Uh, Gina, we're, we're here mainly, obviously, to talk about your father, but I, I think we, we, we can't have this talk and, and not mention that you're a, a, a third-generation 
record breaker because you, you in fact broke um, the women's water speed record yourself and you were also an offshore powerboat champion we saw some of the photographs of that um earlier on do, do you want to tell us a little, little bit about your own exploits oh do you know i don't know donna probably has the same thing i don't i'm not very good at talking about myself although others will will probably dispute that but um you know a little bit of the pressure i'm a father's only child and you know, people would introduce me as a friend, say, meet a friend of mine, Gina Campbell. Her father was Donald Campbell, you know. And they'd look at you quizzically and they say, oh, and what do you do? And you think, hmm, do you know? I'll damn well show them. Um, you know, and we've, we've all, Donald's got it as well as I have. We've, we've got, I hate that word DNA in our veins, but we've all got something to live up to in our family history. And, you know, in, Donald's case, he wants to prove he's got the same size balls as my grandfather and my father had, and he's done it so successfully. I wanted to just prove that I had, I had the courage in my body to actually, and sounds very dramatic, to go out and put your life on the line and prove that you can do it, that you've got the guts and you're prepared to go, and you're prepared to make these record attempts come to fruition. And you know, when you stood up there publicly and said, hi, I'm going to break the world's water speed record, Donald's case, the steam car record, and his other records that he, electric record, he's got a string of records, as you know. Um, you've actually got to damn well go out there and do it, haven't you? You can't say, well, you know what? I don't really think I want to do this anymore. See, you've got to do it, even if the pit of your stomach Again, it's down near your knees somewhere. You have to get in the machine and you have to go do it. And if it means, goodness me, that you may not come out the other end, well, say la vie, you've at least tried. Well, I think it's absolutely fantastic, Gina, though, that you are this third-generation record breaker. I think, not to spoil it, but I think somebody did take your record away from you. You didn't hold it for very long, unfortunately. no. But that, 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 that's the nature that's of record like, breaking. That's, well, that's right. If you've got no competitors, you haven't got records. So, you know, um, you know, <laughs> do I look back and say I wish? But, you know, you're starting to talk about really serious speeds, money, sponsors, all the rest of it. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare, isn't it, Donald? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it, that's more effort and energy and worry and frustration and all those emotions than actually driving the machine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can, I can, I can relate to that. Yes. So, 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 Don, um, Jane has mentioned your 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 records. You you have the, the the steam world land speed record and the British electric record. Is that is that, is that correct? Um, well, those, the the um, British electric records have, have long gone, I believe. Um, no, they haven't. Of course, they. Yeah. Haven't. No. Well, they, again, they've been beaten. About how no, they haven't. Years. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, again, it was a case of sort of pushing up my own records a little bit, trying to raise money for a world record attempt, which has sort of still eluded us. Um, but I can echo Gina's thoughts there as well. But when I was younger, uh, and people would say, oh, it's Malcolm Campbell's grandson. And the first question was, well, what car do you drive then? <laughs> and my other thought was, well, I've got a Ford. I've got a, a Ford Sierra or Ford Focus or whatever it was, you know, my work car, which was my car. 
And they go, no, 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 no. Well, but what do you drive on the track? You know, what do you do? I go, no, I'm, I'm a photographer. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. But I always had a, a yearning to, to do something. And so we started the electric car project and people assumed that we had this limitless amount of Campbell gold buried at the bottom of the garden somewhere because we're all treasure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, no, all the money that grandfather had was, was spent you know, on, on record attacks. So it was very hard to raise money to, to do what we wanted to do. So um, the electric car got me started. Uh, and yes, I got invited to be the test driver initially for a steam car with Charles Burnett, who again is one of life's, or was I'm sad to say, um, real characters and incredibly generous man. Uh, and he, he had spent 10 years of his own um, money uh, trying yeah, to get us uh, and inviting me to do a test drive. So I spent two years with the team and then we go out to America and spend 10 weeks trying to get this blooming car to work. Uh, and Charles, we got the record eventually for Charles with sort of three days to spare, um, but it's still not quite fast enough. And so Charles just said, Don, tomorrow we'll have another go and you, you have a go. So we turned off some, um, some of the safety features of the car. <laughs> Don't let my wife hear me say this. <laughs> um, to go a little bit quicker, uh, which Charles could have done. There wasn't anything special that, that I did. And yeah, I managed to go a bit quicker, uh, go, go faster than uh, an American team who got a, a one-way record and then um, beat Charles's record as well. But we both got a record. He got the kilometer, no, he got the mile and I got the kilometer. But there aren't many people that would allow someone else to sit in their car. And Charles was fabulous for that. Yeah, and then so. I got invited to, to be um, the, the rider of the world's fastest lawnmower. Yeah. I saw that. It was fantastic. <laughs> Which is a chariot. Yes, Gina was there to witness it, as was, yeah. as was the uh, previous record holder. Um, yes. He was a fabulous chap. Um, but that project really was... Uh, quite a cut above the rest. I tell you what, though, you, you mustn't snigger at a lawnmower record. I mean, I be, correct me, Donald, you're doing 80, 90 miles an hour. Yes, yeah, we, the, the parallel top speed was, was 94 when I had, when I had wheels yeah. in contact with the sand, because apparently it took off as well. Um, yeah. We had top speed of 94 and a average over the mile on a beach of 80, 87 something miles an hour. So yeah. Well, I, I, I witnessed it. And you know what? We can laugh and snigger and um, all the rest, the blooming lawnmower. But it, it was not just the blooming lawnmower. You know, this thing went like doodah off a shovel. And Don strapped in on this thing. I mean, there's not much of it, you know. You think no. of a ride on lawnmower. This did not have armor plating around the outside. If it had hit something hard, he'd have been straight out over the front door, or out the back door, or the side door. No damn doors on the bloody thing. You know, he's just sat there. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, yeah. at the time, you know, we we you, you have a little snigger about a lawnmower record, but my God, he had a pair of balls that day. And he damn well did it. And I was so proud of him. I mean, proud of him. I sound like a patriotic mother. But, you know, he, he did it. No fuss, yeah. no bother. Just went out and did it. 
in the in the montage at the beginning, yeah, there was a photograph of it. I think which uh, which Dawn provided. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm just looking now in the the Q and A and and the chat box. Um, Gina and Dawn, can can you see that as well? Can you can you see uh, that? Yes, yes, yeah, I've yeah. seen. So yeah. we, we, we 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 have over over forty um, comments. Or I or can't more. see it. I can't see a thing. Okay, don't I can worry. See don't, don't worry. We'll um, I'm just going to work my way through them, um, Gina, and I will um. See if there's any questions for uh, any of you. Yeah, so, some some comments here as well as questions. CN7 would have been the fastest wheel driven car if it had been allowed to achieve its potential. Yeah, we we, we, we said that, Don, didn't we? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, and still could. Still yes. could. Yes, it's of course. It's we we have some people from from Bewley on the on the uh, talk this evening. Of course, I wonder if we can persuade them to uh, uh, to take take it out for another uh, another another run. Well, Donald will drive it. Well, Craig was going to have a go, wasn't he, at one time? He was, oh, yes, in the yes. American version. Yeah. Night as well. So like, it, it uh, needs a lot of work doing to it. So there's another fundraising exercise, I think. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's a question. Um, did, did Donald's heart prefer land or water? He, he didn't do much on land. I mean, he mainly was a waterman in his career, really, wasn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think the water was. Yeah. I mean, he started off on water. Sorry, Donald, I interrupted you. Um, I I think because the land speed record, he'd had that accident. Everything was fraught with difficulties. I think he regarded Bluebird K Seven as his trusty old steed, and mm. she'd never really let him down. His heart and soul was in the boat, and you know, I for one just never ever saw her coming to grief with my dad. Um, if ever he was going to, in my eyes as a child, have an accident was going to be on land because of the previous experience in nine. But what he preferred, I can't answer that. Donald, can you? Well, I, I think talking with, with Tonya, that I think um, Donald thought that the car was going to be the thing that was going to kill him. He didn't yeah. think that yeah. he would. Because as you say, he felt far more comfortable with, with the boat. He had it for well, 12 years, yep. um, I knew it inside out. I think the car, yeah, was... Um, Unknown quantity a bit. Well, despite the fact that he wanted to then have a faster car. So. Yeah, yes, yeah. so yes, it's a misnomer, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The eternal challenge of when you're climbing a mountain, you get to the top and there's another one. Yeah. yeah. And I think you, you made the comment earlier, Don, that uh, maybe that a water speed record is actually more difficult because of the, the inconsistency of the surface. I mean, I know he had some bad inconsistencies in the, in the land surface as well as, as it happened, but on the whole, the land is more consistent and the, the weather changes, as you said, on his final run in, in an instant and the surface that you're on completely changes. So actually water is, is more difficult than land. Oh, oh too much, too much. Yeah. And, but he, I think he, he understood that so much and he, 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 he just knew what he could do on water. You look at those previous records, um, that Billy Butlin prize fund, uh, on one of the early runs, uh, he achieved 286 miles an hour yeah. as, a, as an average on one outward run back in 1956 or something. Um, but the record was only 225 miles an hour or something. Oh, and turn the lights off. You just could increase things little bit by little bit. So he knew what he was no. doing time on water. And I think he was learning <laughs> to climb on land and um, preferred the water, as we said, so much. Yeah. 
So, Gina, there's a comment here that says Gina has the fire and passion of her father. So I thought I would just share that one with you. Someone, someone's flattering me. Um, I, I honestly, I feel a minion compared to what my father and my grandfather achieved. You know, they were two incredibly brave, courageous men, somehow living in a way outside of their time. I have been so lucky, you know, um, that I've only been a, only done. I'm going to say little bits, not anywhere near going the speeds expected, you know, that my father, my grandfather achieved. So I find it really hard to that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, if somebody dangles, Donald, you're the same. Somebody dangles a carrot in front of you and says, would you like to go for this record? You'll snap at that carrot so damn fast because that's just in our makeup, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. We can't help it. Um, you know, are we bit bitten? with that same sort of bug. Um, it, it's really, it's not something you can define, but whoever said that they feel I have that passion and whatever, thank you very much. Uh, I'll accept it, but um, I don't think I've got quite what my father and my grandfather had. Well, I, I, I've seen a comment that I shouldn't give up my day job and not become a comedian, so. <laughs> That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's, a bit, that's a bit harsh, Don. <laughs> True. So, good question. Ken Warby. Have you heard, heard of him, Gina? He's, he's oh, the, so, we, certainly we know Ken Warby. You know, yeah. Um, so you're part of the uh, the record-breaking community, as it were. Oh, fantastic. I mean, a, a man in his own in his own sphere, you know. Um, what he achieved is just incredible. I thought what well, sort of they're going again now, aren't they? They're, they're, they're planning. They're talking world. about it. I hope so. I mean, you know, um, probably though. I don't know how they operate out in Australia, but it it must be really hard to raise this enthusiasm and to raise the finance that's needed, you know, to to bring a record attempt to fruition, let alone to complete it. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting that, that up to, to this day, there is this kind of community, if you like, uh, almost between record breakers. And I thought one of the most touching stories of your father was the reception that he gave to Craig Breedlove when he first came over. And the press were all... They thought there was going to be a... Yeah, they thought there was going to be a real row between them. But your, your father, in fact, was, was very kind to Craig and gave him a, a, a really warm reception, in fact. Well, yes, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you have to accept what the situation is. And my father was an extremely polite, gentlemanly man, and he would have shaken hands with him. He might have wanted to kick him in the shins, but he would have shook his hand and he would have smiled and he would have been extremely gracious because that was the generosity of spirit my father held. Um, he wouldn't have liked the fact that the rules had been bent and twisted and turned around. And from there on in, really, and wheel-driven um, cars became obsolete. You know, Craig set the bar, and away it's gone, and look where it's gone from there. I mean, I, but I, then, I, they're not road cars. They're not cars. I, I remember Donald, I mean, I was only five years old, six years old, but as an incredibly generous man, you always came away with a gift of some sort visiting him, and I was too young to appreciate exactly and it wouldn't and it wouldn't have been a box of chocolates no no but for me no, it, it would have it would have been a trophy or it would have been the spark plug or it would have been something that was nicely mounted wouldn't it donald you didn't it wasn't you went to see him and you little pat on the head and he give you a box of chocolates no 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 he would give you something of, of great meaning 
Um, well, he was out. incredibly generous. I got fireworks as a oh, kid. Oh, <laughs> got... but that was probably to light the cannon with. Oh, uh, could have been. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't appreciate it was, uh, I got, uh, every time I went, it was a, a rocket, which was bigger than me. Okay, not difficult when you're six years old. Um, and then I later sort of worked out that they were probably the, the um, bird scarers from Coniston. Oh, yes. So there you go. They had intrinsic value. They did. Yeah. But I can remember my um, my dad, the, there was a party at Piltdown um, and there was a party with friends. I, I don't know if your dad was there or not, but my dad put this huge rocket with a long stick into a tiny milk bottle. This <laughs> was at the end of the evening and it was my blooming rocket and he lit it and the inevitable happened where the bottle fell over and this rocket nearly went into the house as it <gasps> settled sideways and went straight up against the house wall, just missing a window. So I dread to think what could have happened. Anyway, sorry. Here we, are. we diverse, but um, it was probably was one of those rockets because where would he out of the blue be able to present you with with that enormous rocket, and it might yeah. nowhere near nowhere near Guy Fawkes Day. No, it probably wasn't. No, I, I, and I can remember with, with Granny going going to Roundwood as well, um, and looking looking for fireworks and fill up with petrol at the petrol pump at the oh, end I'm of the sure garden. Did yes, yeah. that was the only reason she went. Probably. <laughs> yeah, he had a free tank of fuel. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just picking up some questions from from the Q and A now, which which by, by my nature are obviously a little bit random and not necessarily flowing directly from what we've just been discussing. Um, what what what, Gina? What do you think of the TV film Across the Lake, which was based on on, on the last days of your, your your father's life? Um, there's a lot I like about it, and there's a few other things I didn't like about it. And you know, of course, you know the headline: Donald Campbell was a drunk and a womanizer. Um, yeah, he liked a little snifter of brandy, and I tell you, it was bloody cold at Coniston at seven o'clock in the morning in January. And I don't think there's not too many men that wouldn't like a drop of brandy in his coffee in the morning just to warm warm your gullet. Um, and a womanizer, well, do you know what? My dad died under forty five years old, and I hope that he had every lady he wanted because he was a long time dead. And you know, ladies, he was very charismatic ladies threw themselves at him i saw it for myself even as a child and um takes quite a strong man to say no thank you isn't it yeah absolutely i, I was i was trying to find a, a film that was made about um donald campbell it was a bbc playhouse uh played by robert hardy have, have either of you seen well, that, that was malcolm campbell no. wasn't malcolm it? sorry sorry that's what i meant to say yes that was malcolm yeah, yeah I, i've not been able to track it down have you seen that one Oh, I have. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. yeah Donald's um, seen it. Go on, Donald. Yes, you well, talk about Grandpa. Well, no, I mean, well, it, my, my mum was furious about it because it, it just depicted, again, her father as being a bit of a womanizer um, and not concentrating on enough of his achievements. But again, it, it's theatre. It's, it's TV. Um, there's got to be artistic licence in all these things. Um, and how many families have had TV programmes um, documentaries uh, and and stories made for them. You know, it, it just helps keep the, the family name alive. Yes, sometimes people take the mickey and stretch things too far, but you know, it it, it was wonderful. I mean, we, I think uh, Robert Hardy, bless his socks, acted it to the best, you know, trying to portray Sir Malcolm Campbell, and he 
he had his mannerisms and what have you. But I think um, uh, Anthony Hopkins as Donald Campbell was an absolute um, blinding choice. He oh, Donald Campbell, yeah, definitely. I was sat next to him the morning um, for breakfast TV, the morning of the airing of Across the Lake, sat next to me in the green room before we went into the studio. He could suddenly become my father. He took on my father's mannerisms. He even looked like my father. He was, of course, the age that I remember my father at. And he just turned to me and I had to say, you've got to stop that. He was so like my dad. It was scary. Yeah. The voice, the mannerisms, the eyes. He even had those um, special contact lenses. And honest to God, it was the most spookiest thing you've ever seen. And I think he portrayed my dad pretty well. You know, he had his voice, he had his mannerisms, and that's the ability of, of a five-star actor, you know. Um, and, and the story, again, did it, did it in, in Across the Lake, a bit like Donald with, with Speed King, did it depict enough of the achievements? But actually what it took, it took about the last six weeks of his life and condensed it down into that hour-long programme. And you're always going to have, perhaps we're not as the family the best ones to judge, it's how others see it from outside. And if people have enjoyed it and come away and thought, you know, what a man Donald Campbell was, wow, you know, I wish I'd had his life, and, or, or, or whatever, then as far as I'm concerned, it's been a success. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so we, we've been going now for an hour and a quarter. So um, uh, can I just bring uh, St Steve back in? Uh, Steve, if you're, you're there, do, do you, you want us to uh, try to answer a few more questions? Or... Yeah, it's Tim here. <laughs> Tim. Um, yeah, we've got no other questions uh, to be spoken unless anyone wants to raise their hand. Press the raise hand button and you can speak to Gina or Don. We'll wait to see if anyone does that. Oh, we've got one. I'm too scared. We've got, we've got Sue. I'm just going to allow her to talk. Sue. Do I need to press something to see Sue? No, no, no. You won't see her, but you should hear her. No, I like to see people I'm talking to. <laughs> okay, Sue, you need to unmute yourself. I can see that you're, you're muted at the moment. So if you want to unmute yourself and then speak. Hello, Don and Gina. It's Neil, Gil, Neil Gilfillan here. I'm using my sister's computer. Oh. Oh, what are you doing in your spare time, Neil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was me, Don, who said, don't give up your day job. Oh, thank you, Neil. Yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> yes, thank you. Nice to see you both. Oh. Thank you, Neil. Nice to see you soon as well. Uh, and <laughs> Don and Gina, what do you think um, Donald would have thought of your achievements in record-breaking? Me? Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe he could say, good on you, girl, get out there and give it some welly. Or he might say, you stupid bitch, you could kill yourself doing that. So, you know, it could have been something in the middle. Um, I wish I had a pound for everybody that's asked me, how do you think your dad would feel or how do you think your dad would approach something? And you know what? How can I speak for him? I can only assume an assumption is a very dangerous thing in this life. But I'd like to think that he'd look down and say, good old girl, get out there. Keep the fag flying. Keep, keep the name up there. We're a proud family. Yeah. Get out there and do your best. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the same, really. I mean, I, I, there's no way that what I have done is anywhere close to what Donald or Malcolm achieved. I just wanted to have a bit of fun doing it, which um, I'm, I, I did, and you helped as well. So, yeah. um, and a lot of other people helped as well. So it's, it's been fantastic in that respect. Um, I think they would have applauded probably looking at electric cars um, as, a, as a part of our future because we, we were trying to do that sort of 20 odd years or more than 20 odd years ago now um, to get electric cars noticed uh, and to be part of, to be a part of our motoring future. Yeah. Uh, the steam car, well, um, that arguably doesn't have any future. <laughs> but again, it was a fabulous project to be involved with and uh, a magnificent again, team of people coming together to uh, achieve what was a very, very technically difficult record yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, in very difficult conditions. And yeah. that team helped pull us through. Uh, the lawnmower, well, I've seen Donald doing some fairly silly things. Um, I think he might have had a good laugh about the lawnmower, but we did raise money for charity. So yeah. Um, yeah. We, had a, we had a fabulous day out. It was just, and we were on Pendine. Come on, you know. Donald, give yourself credit. It took some balls to do it, and you did it. And I was so, so proud to be part of it. Okay. Thank you for that, Donald and Gina. Thank you. Thanks so much. We, we have, have Dave Ashton, so... Um, oh, Dave, The last question then, Tim. Bursting for a wee wee. Oh, hi, Gina and Don. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, yeah. Um, it was great to see you on the uh, Dumble Young Zoom chat. Um, I understand, Gina, you had a much earlier start, though, because you were talking to a lot of uh, school children in Australia. How did that go? Oh, uh, do you know? Uh, yes. Talk about early for me, five o'clock in the morning. Um, it's, do you know, uh, they, they're just lovely, lovely children. I've been to the schools personally. Um, obviously, they were six year olds. And, you know, it's very hard to speak in a language of describing various things and answering their questions in a language that you think that six-year-olds will understand and appreciate. Don't stop laughing. Um, it's a question I'm reading here. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I have to say, after an hour of what I thought I must have taught the biggest load of tripe, I was absolutely shattered at trying to change um, and, and, and how do you speak to them? But they were so lovely. They're so bright and clean and shiny and lovely, lovely children. And they all came up to the camera and they all came up and, and asked their questions. They were so polite. They didn't fidget. They sat on the floor. I can't see that happening over here. But no, it was lovely, Dave. Thank you. I enjoyed, I enjoyed speaking to them. And do you know, anybody who can and should you must go to Dumble Young. Um, you know, you're all motoring enthusiasts that are listening tonight. And it is quite incredible what a community of 250 people have set up. A shire is equivalent to our county. Well, their county, their shire is huge, but it has a resident population of approximately 250. And the wives of the farmers put everything together to create that Bluebird Interpretive Centre. They got that incredible replica built, which is at the side of the road. You don't have to pay to see it. You just stop your car, pull into the lay-by. So all the signs there tells you all about it. And 
it's absolutely stunning. It's got a copper cover around it, and they have cut the Southern Cross star emblem through the roof, so that at night when the moon shines, you've got the Southern Cross transposed onto the boat. It's truly amazing. You walk across the road, any 10 cars go past every hour, and you don't even have to look right or left. More for sheep you've got to watch out for, and snakes. Um, you go into the interpreter centre, they've got the most fabulous display of stuff. Um, what they've done is amazing. And I'm really, really impressed on anybody that's on their bucket list to go to Australia. You must go to Dumbledore. The you, lake. You, you, you just took the words out of my mouth there, Gina, because you, you've just done that. You've just added something to my bucket list for sure. Oh, I, I, you I, have definitely to go. Gonna... I've not been. Harry, you have to go. It's Perfect. something. You, the flies are a pain, make no mistake. And everything out there, the spiders, the snakes and things, they'll all kill you, but you keep away from them. But it, it, there is something magical about this place. And they love and revere Donald Campbell and his achievements. I, I just love the place. I love the people. They've got one pub and it looks like something out of a John Wayne Western movie with the wooden balustrade around the top. Any minute now, you expect someone to come jumping off the top. It, it, it's, it's just something I can't tell you enough how fabulous it is. So everybody put it on your bucket list. Mind you, they don't want the palms there at the moment because of coronavirus. But as soon as that restriction's lifted, please, please go and go and introduce yourselves as Brits. And they will treat you like the king. Well, th that's a great story, I think, to, uh, to, to finish on, Gina. So uh, thank you very much indeed. I know I know you just mentioned sort of off camera there that you need a comfort break. So we, we oh, uh, did, oh, you did. Yeah, we, don't, don't worry. It's fine. It, it, oh, it I'm added, sorry. It added to it. Don't worry. It's absolutely fine, Gina. Oh, I so, thought um, I was whispering. Can I, can, I, can I just say why I was laughing? Yeah. It's not a very politically correct question, which I'm sure Gina will laugh at. Um, if Donald had lived to see his 100th birthday, how would he have celebrated his birthday? And how many care nurses would have been involved? <laughs> yes, well, I don't think um, I've been talking too long now and I might say something that isn't correct. Um, but certainly the nurses might come into the, into the, um, into the enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, well. Do you interrupt, Harry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, on, on, on that note, then, everyone, uh, again, thank you so much, Gina and Dawn. Everybody has just so, so enjoyed that. I can see from all of the comments, they've really loved the insights that you've given into, into Donald Campbell and uh, your relationship with him and also your, your own achievements as well. As we said, third generation record breakers and bo both of you. So um, thank you all very, very much indeed. And thanks, everybody, for being on the, on the, on the, uh, the uh, talk tonight. It has been recorded and it will be put up onto Brooklyn's TV in, in a few days' time. So you can sit and listen to the whole thing again if you wish to do so. So uh, thank again. you very much, Gina and Don, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.